Hello and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 166. I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Hello to you out there. It is stunning here in England today. Record-breaking weathers for the year so far. We're having a lovely time sitting here sweating out for a podcast. It's going to be good. We've got loads of stuff to talk about. We've got a Hall of Fame special coming up as well. And I'm joined for all these things today by the one and only Miss Eleanor Goodman, Deputy Editor of Metal Hammer. How are you doing, Elle? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. I'm good. Sweaty, but it's all good. We're going we're gonna to crack on and, uh, you know, I haven't got any ice cream or anything, so I'm just kind of suffering, but it's fine. Well, we actually have dressed the same. We're both wearing white vest tops and Steve didn't get the memo and he's wearing a black t-shirt. So he's Never. the only one that actually looked metal today. Uh, we're also joined by Mr. Stephen Hill, metal Hi, contributor. How you doing, Steve? I'm all right, thanks. I'm not wearing white. Fuck that shit. There's nothing metal not- about what you two are wearing. Not no, a poser. Yeah. I'm guessing you're not uh, repping the mighty Brooklyn Nets today, though, Elle, who uh, progressed to the semis of the Eastern yeah, Conference playoffs. Yeah, Brooklyn last Nets. Night. Uh, but we do have a new issue out now. It's Baby Metal on the cover of Metal Hammer. Ten years of Baby Metal. We are currently celebrating. It's a deep dive into their amazing history, conducted by Mr. Stephen Hill, who's with us today. Hello. Uh, we actually kind of explored some of it on last week's podcast, so you can go back and listen to that. And go pick up the new issue uh, when you uh, when you want more baby metal goodness in your life. Uh, go to tinyurl.com slash gethammer to get it ordered direct to your door. That's tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Or head out to uh, your local store here in the UK where you can pick it up in the real world. We've got two different covers to collect. One with Sue Metal, one with Mer Metal. Uh, and they're both really, really good and lovely looking covers that you should get immediately. Go get it right now. Uh, now, before we continue this week's show, we actually have some exciting news. Uh, the Metal Hammer podcast now has a sponsor. Yes. Come on. Happy days. Uh, this is really, really great stuff. The podcast has obviously undergone uh, something of a refresh this year. Uh, we brought in a new format. We have a new theme tune courtesy of Conjurer. Uh, and we decided we wanted to look at working with a sponsor to kind of help elevate the show and continue all this forward momentum that we're building. Um, so with that in mind, I'm delighted to announce that moving forwards, the Metal Hammer podcast will be sponsored by Killstar. Woo! Get some applause up in here. Yeah. I'm applauding. I'm applauding. Studio audience in the house. Uh, <laughs> Killstar, uh, they're a great company. They're one of the world's most renowned alternative fashion brands. They cater for metal, goth, and alternative music fans. They have an amazing range of clothing, shoes, accessories, lifestyle items for all genders. Uh, and they're just a really, really cool company. Uh, obviously, we knew that we were bringing a sponsor. And if we wanted to do that, it had to be a brand that reflected Metal Hammer's ethos of being a platform made by metal fans, for metal fans. And uh, Killstar are absolutely that. Um, I've been talking to their team all week about this sponsorship and they're really excited about it as well. And to celebrate this new sponsorship, they've given Metal Hammer podcast listeners an exclusive deal so you can get a sweet discount off some Killstar goodies. Uh, so here how that here is how that works. Uh, listeners who sign up to the Killstar newsletter will get a 10% discount off their next purchase and will be entered into a draw to win a £100 gift card. So that's 10% off some cool Killstar merch and the chance to win another £100 uh, worth of merch. Uh, to claim your discount and be entered into the draw, all you have to do is visit www.killstar.com slash pages slash metal pod. 
That's www.killstar.com slash pages slash metal pods. Just enter your details there and you'll be sent a code for the discount that will expire after 30 days. Uh, and Killstar have loads of good stuff. Um, Elle and I were looking at all their stuff the other day. They've got t-shirts, dresses, shoes, pin badges, beanies, sunglasses, pretty much anything you can think of. It's all there. Get kitted out for summer uh, in the most metal way possible. So again, head over to killstar.com slash pages slash metal pod now to do all of that. Um, and I should add that if you're entering from the US or Europe, you can also access the page by adding US dot or EU dot at the start of that address. And if you win, the prize draw will be for $100 or €100 Euro gift card, depending on uh, where you're coming in from. Uh, and you can sign up to this deal until July 2nd. So you have nearly a month to get on there and uh, get browsing at all Killstar's goodies. Uh, so yeah, killstar.com slash pages slash metalpod now. This is just for Metal Hammer podcast listeners only. 10% off all their merch. Plus you get entered into that cool draw. Um, this is exciting, isn't it, Elle? Killstar and Metal Hammer? It is, and it's the perfect time to get a new choirs. The sun has just come out. Uh, Want to yes. get some new gothic dresses or metal t-shirts, then it's literally the perfect time to just get that stuff and then get out and get in the sunshine and be the most metal of all your friends. Hell yes. So uh, cheers to Killstar for coming on board the Metal Hammer podcast family. We're excited to have you. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, all the details there, killstar.com slash pages slash metal pods to get stuck in to all your Killstar stuff. Now, uh, last week, we talked about the announcement of a download pilot event taking place this month. Huge news that broke across the rock and metal industry last week. Uh, the Download Pilot Festival is taking place June 18th to 20th, which is now just over two weeks away. I can't believe uh, those words are coming out of my mouth. Um, and we now have a lineup. Uh, we talked about the kind of bands that might end up playing the festival last week, and I and I think we kind of we kind of were fairly right in the in the area that Download have, have booked this uh, festival. Uh, it's pretty much an all British affair. We've got three headliners in the shape of Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Enter Shikari, and Bullet by Valentine. And there's tons of other great names here as well. We've got everyone from Neck Deep to Sleep Token to While She Sleeps to Creeper to Screen Dread to Employed to Serve. Loads of hyped uh, UK-based bands across the rock and metal scene. What are you saying about this lineup, Stephen Hill? I'm saying I can't wait to see A, is what I'm <laughs> yes! saying. Yes! <laughs> Why not? I mean, well... I Many mean, people might think Steve's being sarcastic, but me and Steve have had extensive conversations about A, and Steve is a fan. I, a I love A. They're probably... Are they my favourite band on the entire bill? Wow. Fuck it, maybe they are. Um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Those first two A albums are fucking amazing. I mean, I really want to see Malevolence on a big stage. I think yes. there's a chance to see bands download on a bigger download. You know, we've kind of bemoaned, or I have bemoaned download for years being like, I want to see some of these smaller bands on a bigger stage in front of more people. Employed to serve in front of lots of people. Um, Jamie Lenman in front of lots of people. Loathe and Higher Power and A... Um, I have seen a conjurer and bleed from within in front of lots and lots of people. I think that that is really, really exciting more so than, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not that like personally, I don't really have much love for any of the headliners. I quite like Frank Carter and the rattlesnakes. The other two headliners I kind of actively dislike if I'm being perfectly honest, but you know, I still think they're probably quite good choices as headliners you know, they're just not bands that I like at all. But um, yeah, it's good. I think it's quite a good lineup. 
Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting what you say about the about the headliners because we kind of fantasy booked a little bit last week. Um, and when you look at the headliners that are playing this festival, you are basically looking at British headliners that are kind of academy venue sized, potentially a bit bigger. You're talking about relatively more modern names. The actual list of bands in that category, I would say, is not extensive, especially when it comes to metal bands. And I was kind of thinking, like, really? The only band that instantly sprung to mind that I would have loved to see at a festival in this kind of position would probably be Architects, maybe. Yep. But they are doing that Alt-Fest thing already in London later in the year. So that's kind of like a, a no-go anyway. Um, so yeah, it's objectively a really strong, well-built lineup. And, and like you said, Steve, can't wait to see. I mean, see, getting to see While She Sleeps off the back of this new album is going to be so exciting. Mm-hmm. Creeper are always great fun. Yep. Um, even though the non the non kind of heavier bands, I really like your Naka. Um, you know, uh, I'm not even a massive Frank Carter fan as such, but he's always great live. He'll be great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, really great, reliable veteran live bands like Skin Dread and the Wild Hearts. All good stuff. What you said about the lineup, Hell? I love Enter Shikari, and that's also on my birthday, so that's pretty good. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't actually know you were a big Enter Shikari fan. I guess because we don't cover them much, we haven't talked about them. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're awesome. Uh, last time I saw them, I think was the show at Alexandra Palace, where they had that like three D surround system thing, where they just had speakers everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved them since the beginning. I remember going to like a Radio One session not long after their first record um, and just being like the most excited person in the world. I just moved to London and it was like, oh, I'm going to see Enter Shikari and like that studio, they can't remember the name of on Portland Street. It was just really fun. They're such a fun band. They're going to be a really good Saturday headliner because on a Saturday you do want that party vibe. And, you know, as much as they sort of write, obviously about social justice and a lot of things that matter, they're also just fucking go off <laughs> just really really high energy band to see so i'm really looking forward to that i think it's gonna be great if you yeah. like uh if you like enter shikari oh you should check out the worst streets material you know this <laughs> steve for goodness sake we had this last time as well when you said that you would never want disturbed to headline we don't have the same taste and that's okay no no but they and sound then... like the street they sound like the, the bad street stuff i think at shikari they don't really they literally yeah yeah, don't. yeah yeah you listen they to don't. like the fifth streets album what streets did some like rave punk what is talking yeah. about He's talking about the way sometimes the lyrics are more spoken than sung and they're in a British accent mm. and sometimes they're about like politics and class. That's all you mean. But they're not very good. Yeah, Social well, observation. If you, yeah. if you want to see British rock done better in that style, you should check out the song Park Life by Blur. Well, <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> you probably should. No! Also, though, no, you mentioned Skindred in passing. That is like the perfect band for this festival. Yes. Again, they're such a party band. There is no band I want to see more at Download than Skindred. Like just a party band, hopefully in the sunshine, in a field, having a great time. I know they're not headliner status in terms of kind of the audiences they pull, but for me, that's kind of like who I would want to see as a headliner because they're just so much fun. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. It's going to be great. It's going to be quite emotional as well, I think. I was thinking, seeing a band like While She Sleeps, who are so kind of like, kind of on the nose with their lyrics and the kind of connection they have with their fans and stuff. There's some songs they're probably going to end up playing that I think will probably get me shedding a tear because like, they didn't immediately come to mind when I was thinking of like, oh, who are the bands I'd love to really see again once this is all over? But with that new album out, 
which we reviewed a few weeks ago, by the way. You can go back and check out our review of that new album. It's really, really good. Sleep Society. Um, I think, you know, I've got a real emotional connection to that band. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be special seeing them play songs like, um, Nervous live is going to be big. I'm, I'm so I excited. Absolutely, I can't believe we're love talking that about record. It. I love that while she sleeps record. I was looping that yesterday. Actually, I just love that record. It's such a great. That's record. a great phrase. Looping. <laughs> <laughs> it was looping it round and round and round. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Saturday gonna is going to be great. And get to go home early, don't you, as well? Because who wants to watch Bullet from a Valentine? <laughs> oh, definitely Steve. not me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but funnily I mean, enough you said that you were quite into frank carter and of all the headliners he's the one that i'm not into i've just never connected with gallows or frank carter's material it's just not for me right i do think that trying to be objective about it like uh, none of these three headliners are, are bands that i listen to regularly in my own time i happily admit but i do think when you've just got the kind of raw chaotic fun nowadays actually energy of frank carter and then the kind of uh you know normally quite visually impressive again really energetic um passionate uh you know like i said enter shikari are plugged into a lot of social issues as well when you've got kind of that vibe going on the saturday i do think bullet are going to have to really step up to to kind of make a, a serious impact this weekend because they are a band that have been through some weird career peaks and troughs in terms of their um material and uh i'm interested to see what they put on that will kind of top off like what it's going to be like i said a very emotional week weekend like a lot of the bands playing these festivals are real raw passionate energetic heavy bands um oh, it's just gonna be fucking great i honestly can't believe we're talking about something that's just over two weeks away it doesn't seem real but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And we will hopefully see some of you lovely listeners there as well. Down the, uh, front, down the think... front for A, innit? See you all down the down... front for A. Oh, Why I forgot not? to say, I love A. I absolutely love A. They came out when I was in school and me and my friends used to all sing along about the old folks. Yeah. Not being able to use computers. I, I... <laughs> I mean, being, being a new metal kid, it's just all about that one song, What We All Know, for me. But... Um, that's still be good that's still be good I know that's not very representative of a lot of their material either but fuck it Uh, let's move on to the main event of this week's episode it's the latest edition of the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame Uh, by now I reckon a lot of people listening will know how this goes but just in case you didn't here's how this works Uh, we pick an iconic metal band and take one of their albums to enter into the Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame it's obviously not a real Hall of Fame you can't visit it there's not (laughs) pictures hung up of these albums anywhere it's just a bit of fun but it's something we still take very seriously Uh, the way we decide which album goes in is through two stages in stage one we put every album in the band's discography up for a public vote on the Metal Hammer Readers Facebook page Uh, if you're not on on that Facebook group yet why not Go to facebook.com slash readers to join the most engaged and fun uh, heavy metal community on the internet right now. Uh, so yeah, we put uh, we put the band's entire discography up for a public vote on that group. And the two most popular albums are entered into a debate on this show where we three presenters vote on the album that makes it in to the prestigious Metal Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. Uh, Slipknot, Core, Metallica, Killswitch Engage, System of a Down are just some of the bands that have been entered into the Hall of Fame so far. You can go back to those old episodes to see which albums by those artists made it in. 
But this month, we're looking at one of metal's greatest modern bands, a band who have amassed one of the most impressive discographies in metal history, I think it's probably safe to say now, although they've certainly made some big missteps along the way, which we'll probably reference uh, on the show as well. I'm talking about the one and only Trivium. Uh, so we put Trivium's entire discography up for a vote on the Metal Hammer Reader Group, and while there were two clear nominees that came out of it, um, the voting between these two albums was the tightest we've ever had on these Hall of Fame shows. There was just one vote between these two records. Uh, so it's clear these are two extremely beloved albums. Um, and the two Trivium albums that we're going to be debating for entry today are Ascendancy and Shogun. Ascendancy, Trivium's 2005 international breakthrough album, their first release for Roadrunner, the album that really established them as the most exciting band in heavy metal, uh, and Shogun. Uh, which is the album that saw them recover from an early career blip and kind of confirmed them as one of the most accomplished bands of their time. Excited about this, L? Big Trivium fan? Yeah, I am a little bit disappointed, though, that the last two records mm. didn't make the cut because, to my mind, they're the best records that Trivium have ever done. But obviously, nostalgia holds a lot of sway. People have followed this band from the beginning. I see why these two were chosen, but if I had my choice, it would be between the last two records, I reckon. They are two astonishingly good records, to be fair. And for what it's worth, um, what the Dead Men say did come third, uh, and it did actually come fairly significantly ahead of all the other albums as well. So there's a lot of love for that new Trivium album. I did actually say um, in the review, I think it's as good as pretty much anything they've done. Um, whether I still stand by that, maybe we'll get into later. But uh, yeah, Excited about this, Steve, as well? You're a big Trivium fan also? Yeah, yeah, really am. I mean, they're one of the bands I think I've spoken a bunch of times before about how kind of Blood and Thunder by Mastodon was something around that period that made me get back into metal. And certainly Ascendancy, Leviathan, and probably um, Sacrament by Lamb of God played a really big part in kind of making me want to get back into metal when I'd gone kind of full indie for a couple of years uh during the early part of the 2000s and uh, just to pick up on what the dead men say i i think what the dead men say is amazing i mean i'm not going to kind of spunk what is my favorite record yet but i do think those last two albums are so good and you're talking about seven and eight in their back catalog as records now when you think of the seventh and eighth or the eighth best the eighth album of most metal bands career Slipknot don't have eight albums the eighth Metallica album is St Anger the eighth Megadeth album is Cryptic Writings the eighth Slayer album is Diabolus and Musica there's no eighth Pantera album um, I mean I could go on like the eighth Sepultura album is Rawback I think like when you look at the big 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 bands in metal like it's very very rare that you get to eight albums and you're talking about the best album of a band's career. And I don't necessarily know if I would go, it's the best album of their career, but it's certainly, it's certainly a conversation to be had about it being, and that, that is literally, I honestly can't think of another metal band where you go, is their eighth album their best album? And I think that says a hell of a lot about how, well, Trivium's journey and how great they've been and how great they continue to be. And how underrated no, no, they are. Agreed. A hundred percent. They do still feel underrated. I mean, certainly on the on an international level, we were looking at that, um, or in America at least, let's say, we were looking at that that Notfest lineup, and like I was looking at Trivium's billing on that, and I was like, 
wow, like it would not be that way around if that was a bill in England. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really interesting. Um, but there are two albums uh, we can talk about today. We'll probably reference, I reckon, at least one other in this conversation because it's quite an important part of the kind of journey of these two records. But we are going to talk about Shogun and Ascendancy. And uh, let's start with Ascendancy. I guess it's maybe no real surprise that this album made it into the final vote. Um, they did, of course, release a, another very decent album, Ember to Inferno, before this in 2003 on Life Force Records. Really good album, really solid. Uh, but it was the release of Ascendancy in March 2005. And I think, importantly, the touring around that album uh, that really put Trivium on the world stage. Um, before this record even came out, they actually uh, they got signed up by Roadrunner and then they appeared on the Roadrunner Road Rage tour with Machine Head and Chimera in 2004. So Roadrunner kind of almost like advertised them to fans before this first album on their label um, came out. Uh, so there's a lot of hype around Ascendancy before it even dropped. Um, and once it did drop, things just went fucking supernova, to be honest. Um, L, is it safe to assume that, like me, Ascendancy was the album that exposed you to Trivium? And what did you think of this band when they first began really getting some hype and appearing on the metal scene in a big way? Absolutely. I was obsessed with this record. I was obsessed with the song Pull Harder on the Strings of Your Martyr. I was at university and I was doing a rock show with my friend Matt and we just got hold of this record and we both just loved it instantly. It was just everything we wanted in a record right then. We were both huge new metal fans and then obviously getting into metalcore as well, which was coming up hot on new metal's heels, really into bands like Kill Switch Engage and just kind of the excitement of being in the modern metal scene at that time. I wasn't somebody who was into Metallica, Iron Maiden, what the old school metal bands. I would buy music magazines and if those bands were in them, I would just literally not read those pages. <laughs> I I just thought Sacrilege. that was I thought that was old, I thought that was boring, I thought that was for people who were older than me. I loved new music, new metal, metalcore anything like that and when this record came out I was like this is literally everything that I love it's got like grooves in it it's got screamy bits in it it's got singing bits in it and it had these massive choruses and Ascendancy was probably one of the heaviest records I'd heard up to that point because I hadn't listened to any of these old school metal bands I hadn't listened to anything extreme and so for this to kind of have those sort of harder bits on it I was actually like wow this is kind of something a little bit new for me but what pulled me in and kept me there was these massive choruses and catchy riffs um and I know Steve will have a very different story but I'm coming from this perspective of yeah this is new this is modern I love it it's great give me more yeah but I think it is important to emphasize the era in which this album arrives and the kind of context around it because you know the new metal boom was basically dead like the big bands that came out of that, um, I don't even want to say that scene, but that kind of era, like Corn, Lip, uh, System of a Down, et cetera, et cetera, they kind of stayed the course and they they were bigger than that scene. But all that kind of scene of like every metal band getting signed to a major label had spiky hair and baggy jeans, like that, that era was pretty much dead by 2005. And you had the new wave of American heavy metal thing settling in. Metal Hammer did our cover on that in 2004, I think with, uh, I think it was Chimera and Shadows Fall, was it? I can't remember. Chimera were definitely on there. Mm. But that whole new wave of American heavy metal thing was kind of working out. Like, there was something there, but it was a bit of a nebulous scene and a nebulous idea. Um, and it, 
that American metal scene certainly hadn't produced like a young, exciting superstar band, which everyone kind of rallied around. Uh, and then this album came out that just had a whole new generation of metalheads completely hyped. And it was maybe the first time in a long while where, I mean, the album got called a metalcore album at the time, but it's not. It's a heavy metal album. And it was maybe the first time that a heavy metal album had got a young, engaged demographic really excited like this. Um, Steve, you said you'd kind of been out of the metal game a bit when this album dropped. So what do you kind of remember about the first time you saw Trivium around this? I don't mean live. I just mean you kind of became aware of them around this time. Well, they were suddenly just on the front cover of magazines straight away. And they were young. And rather than be excited, I think you get to a certain age where you become deeply cynical at that, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there had been a bunch of bands who seemed to get fast-tracked to the top of whatever. But I was still kind of... You know, I didn't know what was going on in the underground particularly. Like I, I, I was sort of starting to pick up, you know, Metal Hammer again, and you would see like I'd suddenly be like, "Unearth, Unearth are in Metal Hammer, Darkest Hour in Metal Hammer." That's really weird because four years ago, when I was really kind of deeply into that stuff, the idea of them being in magazines was mad. So I sort of was like, "Hmm, these young bucks that have just been signed to Roadrunner and have just come up from nowhere." I was a bit like, oh yeah, well, impress me then. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of like that arms folded attitude. And I remember going into the Virgin Megastore on uh, on Tottenham Court Road, so that massive Virgin Megastore. And Ascendancy was on the list. You remember you used to have the listening posts? And you'd like go in and, and that was on there. There was a whole bunch of Roadrunner CDs and a six CD changer. Um, I think... Uh, the Three Inches of Blood album was on there as well. And tr- and Ascendancy was like part of a deal. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to listen to this band and see what they're like. And just to quickly come in there on that Three Inches of Blood thing, one of the funny, well, not funniest, because I, I love Three Inches of Blood, but one of the oddest things is that when uh, Trivium did one of the Road Runner Road Rage tours, I guess it must have been the first one, um, they were on there with Three Inches of Blood. And them and Three Inches of Blood were kind of being shown off as the two like new signees of Roadrunner Records. And you just think that at that time, it's like, oh, yeah, they're kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They, they could both do well. Like, it's just yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I remember sticking um, Ascendancy on and just going, I'm going to have a little listen to this. And, you know, Rain comes in um after the end of the the instrumental the end of everything and when that came in i was like oh fuck wow like this is this is pretty good and i thought after kind of listening to a couple of tracks and obviously you get rain going into pull harder and streams yamata which straight away i was like this is a fucking great tune so i bought the album and i got it back and i was like okay yeah you're this is legit like this is the thing and it felt like a really like it didn't feel like anything new to me per se but it kind of did feel new because it felt like it felt like it was the first time where, like you say, metal from a young group of people that sounded like it borrowed elements from cool underground metal bands suddenly had this moment where you thought, well, actually, like this might come back and be kind of commercially successful. Like they were being touted like the next Metallica and stuff. I'm not sure. It seems even like it seems mad to think it now, but there was a talk like, oh, Trivium will be the next stadium metal band. There was also a lot of cynicism around that, though, I remember. Um, Not when Ascendancy came out particularly, maybe do I remember that, but a few years later, 
I remember a lot of people saying like, oh, Roadrunner really trying to push them. They're like turning their sound up at gigs. They want them to be the new Metallica. Like I came at them in ascendancy as just somebody who was just an excited young person at uni, just getting excited. And then when I sort of came to London and started meeting people in the music industry and meeting other journalists, there was a bit of a sense of like, they're getting pushed as this, they're getting pushed as that, they're putting all this heft behind them, they're putting all this marketing behind them, all this money behind them. Um, and I do remember that, but it was later in Ascendancy, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Yeah, no, there was there was a lot of that kind of um, rhetoric going around the mail scene then, for sure. It was a really interesting time. I mean, I think it's always a good sign of a metal band's uh, pull that... Y- like everyone that was into metal around that time felt compelled to have to have an opinion on them. Do you know what I mean? Like even my mates at the time who were into metal, but maybe weren't quite as in still as engaged in the current scene and stuff at that time. They were kind of, we were getting a bit older and starting to kind of like stick to their bands and all that kind of stuff. But um, I remember talking with my mates about, about Trivium and there was this thing about uh, like, who do, who do you like more, Bullet or Trivium? Because they both put those albums out in the same year. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going around. So everyone needs an opinion on this band, um, which is always a good sign of a band making moves. Um, but I mean, musically, even now, you just listen back to this record and you can completely see why it made such a big dent because like it, it did it's weird I, I agree with you steve that it didn't you could break down the ingredients of this album and say well there's nothing brand new here there's no there's no kind of necessarily like minute of this album you could take and say i've never heard anything like this particular segment before but the way they mixed all those influences together the thrash metal melodic death metal metalcore old school heavy metal um, they did it in a way that sounded so fresh and mod- modern. I genuinely don't think there was anything else that ca- that sounded quite like this, certainly in the metal mainstream at the time. Um, and uh, I still think that now. I still listen to it now and I think, God, I can't really think of many other albums that sound like what this album was doing when it came out. Um, and there's this youthful kind of reckless urgency on this album as well that I just don't think Trivium ever really quite had again after this record. It's just so frenetic and exciting in places. And it's almost got that kind of like, I wouldn't say, well, definitely not really musically. Like there is Metallica on here, but I wouldn't probably say Kill Em All is the obvious comparison for what they were doing musically. But in terms of the energy of it, it does remind me of that kind of youthful, like angry excitement that Metallica had on Kill Em All. Um, And like, fuck me, man, just the songs on here, like Paul Harder, A Gunshot to the Head of Trepidation, like Light to the Flies, Rain, Dying in Your Arms, like... These are astonishing metal songs, aren't they, Steve? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this record. I kind of, I kind of fed you a line there. Sorry, I didn't mean to turn it. No, no, well, I was, I was about to, I was ready to jump in. Don't worry, I was going to jump in <laughs> okay. anyway. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think this album is just kind of front to back. I mean, the thing that impressed me about it, like you say, is the song. I was like, okay, because I, you know, like I'd heard a lot of. I mentioned bands like Unearth and Darkest Hour, but none of them had the same level of like this feels grand and massive and it's catchy and it's not sacrificing any level of technicality and you know it kind of feels like a dirty word to say like it had commercial potential but it did if i listened to it and i was like yeah this does sound like suddenly it, it wasn't like you know normally you, you would hear a band that people are going they're going to be massive and, and that is a kind of a byproduct for maybe something a bit more simple maybe something a bit more um easily digestible but i didn't feel like these songs are easily digestible at all they were just incredibly well put together and they were played with a like legitimate ferocity i mean i think the metallica comparison i i understood it but 
they were they were you know at that point certainly like these songs are really heavy. Like Matt's vocals are, he's got like screamed vocals. There are, there is elements, obviously there's elements of shit like in flames and metalcore and, and all that stuff. But yeah, like the kind of the amalgam of all that stuff put together, it doesn't really feel totally revolutionary today. And it probably wasn't even really that revolutionary at the time. It just felt fucking exciting. You know, it just felt exciting to hear an album that was like front to back, chock full of, songs that were in your brain the first time you listened to them and really very technically impressive as well and really fucking heavy and to have that that's kind of like the holy trinity of stuff that you want from like a big metal band isn't it and they they fucking smashed it on the on the second record when they were teenagers it's mad yeah absolutely incredible um when when uh, i remember seeing the paul harder video for the first time and I, I, I got to be totally honest, like it, I remember, you know, like Steve said, he had the kind of crossed arms thing, impressed me kind of thing. You know, this was five years on from me being a little new metal kid. Like I'd really grown into metal and I was listening to bands like Arch Enemy and Amona Marth and I was really into melodic, melodic death metal. So I was really into Alligators and stuff like that. And I thought musically the Trivium were really good, but I've, I remember seeing the, the video for Paul Harder and I remember seeing Matt Heafy and he kind of had a bit of a, a, a it's kind of the buzzword at the time, almost a bit of an emo-y fringe haircut thing going on. And he had makeup and it did get my back up a bit. And it, I'm embarrassed to think that now, but I do remember being like, oh, like, uh, oh, I'm not so sure about this now. Do you think that the kind of, this was one of the early, well, maybe not the early times, Metal's always had elitism, elitism in it. But do you think this is one of the times where, metal's more kind of modern elitist quarters kind of first really kicked back against the young metal band that were being like held up as like the potential next big thing out it's really hard for me to say because i was one of those people who loved that i loved all that stuff i didn't care if it was new metal or metalcore or emo i just wanted it all and to me it was all modern and all interesting and so it's really hard to be objective because I saw him presented like that and that was what I thought he should be presented like. That was what I was like. That was what my friends were like. Um, And I just didn't care, like I said, about anything that had come before. For me, this was the exciting thing, not the things that had happened in the 90s. I literally just, at that time, some of them I cared about, some 90s stuff, but in terms of like old school metal, I didn't care. So I just didn't have that kind of attitude towards it and I probably wasn't even aware that there was so much snobbery from older quarters whereas steve probably saw quite a lot more of that than i did yeah i did i think yeah um i never i mean as soon as i heard them i didn't really care as soon as i heard the record i was like okay well you know who fucking cares like Mm. i I kind of i think i sort of i mean we mentioned mudvane a a little while the first time i saw mudvane i remember being like no another one of these stupid bands and then hearing it and going oh actually like this is far more technically interesting and you know blah 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 and uh and i i think i've yeah i think that there would have been a time in my life certainly where i would have been like no you look like that and look at them like maybe but i think i'd kind of gone past that but i definitely had friends who were like i mean i remember them this is going a little bit further forward but they played the unholy alliance with slayer i think on shogun and I think Matt from the stage said to a Slayer crowd who weren't really digging them, 
said, if you don't like Trivium, you're a pussy, like in the middle of one of their songs. <laughs> and my mate was so affronted by that. How dare you? How dare you, you little kid, say that to a Slayer crowd? We're here to see Slayer, like, fuck you. But I actually was like, fair play to him. Like, he's not backing down. And I think, you know, at that point, they'd had years of being patronised and being told that they were emo. I mean, this is this has barely got anything to do with metalcore, let alone emo. Emo... Oh, absolutely. Got nothing absolutely. to do with emo at all. Like nothing, oh God, no. musically, nothing to do with it at all. And I really didn't want to be like, oh, I'm going to judge this band on the way that they look. Like I, uh, and I, I just thought like, I don't know. I'd gone past the point of being like, I, I kind of wanted a metal band to get big again, because it had been a few years, right? It'd been a few years since we'd had something like Linkin Park or Limp Bizkit blow up and be legitimately massive. And you still got like quite big bands happen. I suppose My Chemical Romance were sort of in a position where that was starting to happen. But there hadn't been like a massive new band, particularly in metal, in metal, metal. Yeah, like proper like heavy proper metal. Proper actual yeah. metal. You hadn't had that for, since really, since Pantera, really. We're probably like the last proper metal band that got really really big and i thought i listened to trivium and i thought yeah they, they, there's a real chance here that this band can get big and listen to them they're a fucking actual metal band and that's pretty much all i cared about and i know from like speaking to matt over the years and stuff and i've had a few conversations with him where he's like bands were shitty to us and they patronized us and they like treated us like this and that and it is a shame that that happened because you know if you if you, if you close your eyes and listen to ascendancy and someone said to you, like, oh, this is the new, um, like, I don't know, oh, it's At The Gates, or maybe not At The Gates come back on. But, like, do you know what I mean? If it was, if it was a, an established band of its ilk, an established metal band, if someone said, oh, it's The Haunted's new album or whatever, you'd just be like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. But, and, oh, God, like, it's got the potential to be really big. But, yeah, I, it, it's, it, was, it was weird. It was a weird thing. I think it was the vocals. You know, you sort of mentioned a couple of bands there, like The Haunted and stuff, but, mm. like if you shut your eyes and listen, listen to this album, you hear things like, you know, like Light to Flies, you hear the bleeding out the eyes line, like that's a real kind of like, it's quite a sort of syrupy line, even though it's bleeding out the eyes, which is like super metal. It sounds really melodic and syrupy and something like Dying in Your Arms, mm. it modulates at the end. Like that's a boy band key change. That's like when Boyzone and Westlife used to get up off their stools at the end for the last bit. Like, this is why people like me liked it. I would it love because... to see Trivia perform that song like that. <laughs> this is why people like me liked it, because we could access it. It was commercial, it was accessible. It did have all those other bits. If you took out the vocals, maybe I would sort of agree with you more, but I think the way some of those vocals were delivered and the way, like, yeah, that they had some key changes and they had some really kind of... Although they had these guitar solos, they had some really kind of, like... Um, catchy guitar solos as well that were kind of more along those lines of what I was just talking about. There's so many catchy, accessible, hooky bits in here that I could see why some people would be snobby about those bits. Mm -hmm. I think we're all agreed that uh, such snobby people, including me for a brief second, um, <laughs> were chatting out their ass. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, as much as the album obviously made a big impact, I think it was I think it was Kerrang's album of the year. It just missed out on Metal Hammer's top five that year. But you know, this is a young band, and it was in a year where you had major albums by Avenged Sevenfold, uh, System of a Down, Opeth, Judas Priest had their first album back with Rob uh, Halford in the band. Um, so they just still I still only just missed out on Metal Hammer's top five, despite all that going on. Um, but really, I think it was almost the touring cycle around this record that solidified this era of Trivium. 
Um, they obviously played on the Road Rage Tour in 2004. As I mentioned, they came back to headline it in 2005. Uh, but, like, I mean, unquestionably, the most historic moment of this album cycle was Download 2005, where Trivium got bumped up from the tent to opening the main stage on the Saturday. <clears throat> and they put on one of the most legendary Donington, not just Download, but one of the most legendary Donington performances ever. I mean, I think until Slipknot headlined a few years later, this was the definitive Download set. Um, that the festival had had in, it, in its existence. Um, was there almost kind of like, was there almost too much pressure on this band at this point? Because I don't know if you can really compare this rise to anything else that was going on in the time. Maybe, or, or before then, I should say, like maybe Metallica in terms of like a young band coming up, getting hyped to fuck, um, being anointed as the like the chosen ones. Uh, but even then, you're you're talking about like an extra... 20 years of history on this band's shoulders by that point and the fact that it was like a metal band as well not a new metal band or anything else it was a fucking heavy metal band was there kind of almost too much expectation on Trivium by the time they went in to record their first album which they did quite quickly as well it came out the next year what do you think Steve? Yeah I think that's quite an impossible um, thing to leap over I think people like to um there, there, there's been plenty of albums in music history that have been like one album and then the band have boomed and uh, and then busted. You know, I think Nevermind the Bollocks is a really, really important record in the history of contemporary music and the Sex Pistols never did anything else. It doesn't kind of diminish the importance of that, of that album. Um, Stone Roses' first album is an incredibly important record and it took them five years to follow it up with a bloated piece of shit. So, you know... Again, I don't think it diminishes that record. So I think, like, even even if Trivium had just done Ascendancy and hadn't re and and the pressure had been too much for them to follow up, I think it would have been a shame. But I don't think it would have kind of diminished the impact. And I think it's quite easy to look at that years and years later and go, "Oh, they shouldn't have been so harsh on themselves because they've done such a great." You know, the pressure shouldn't have got to them because they'd kind of cemented something. I think Ascendancy and that download performance are kind of a, like in a lot of ways it kind of had made them part of the furniture like forever like whatever happened people would probably be talking about that but i can i can understand why they went in quickly to capitalize on it i can also understand why they decided that they didn't want to do ascendancy part 2 and i can kind of understand why they had a bit of a chip on their shoulder i think about the way that the record the next record had to sound um but yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, like it is It is just a lot of pressure for a bunch of young kids to be told that you're going to be the next Metallica. I think you're only kind of human if you, you're going to lose the plot a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You're just going to. And I think like the Crusade is not a bad record, but there are definitely problems with it, you know? Yeah. Well, let's go into the Crusade briefly. Obviously we're not talking about that album specifically, but it is a really important part of um this whole era of the band's career uh you know they they the band were all back into the moon they're going to be the next metallica and all that shit and um you know the following year after ascendancy uh they released the crusade um i mean this album is generally regarded as a big misstep and i still think you listen back to it and i'd be very surprised to see it turn up in most trivium fans top 3 trivia records um but it still feels to me like a pretty solid metal album. And it, and I think maybe the biggest problem with it is that a lot of it feels quite cynical, um, maybe a bit overthought. 
and just not quite what people were hoping for from Trivium. I remember listening to this record in, I think it was an HMV where you can like just preview it on some headphones. Um, and the first time I heard Heafy do like a proper James Hetfield impression, I was like, oh, wow, this is like just so kind of transparent what they're trying to do here. But when you go back to it now, I mean, it's a good metal album. If, if a kind of just like a, a classic heavy metal band to kind of borrow something Steve said earlier, if, if a classic heavy metal band released this now, it would probably get quite lauded in certain sections of the metal community, I think. But it just wasn't. It just wasn't what they needed. Uh, what do you think of the Crusade in hindsight? I felt absolutely betrayed and let down at the time. Oh, wow. I was like, here is this band who's part of this world that I love and it's all new and fun and contemporary and I love it and it's great. And now they've just released something that I thought was absolutely shit. And it was because I didn't like any of those metal <laughs> bands. I didn't want them to be the next Metallica. I didn't want them to be doing old school thrash metal i was like this is not me this is people who have come before me and obviously in, in those intervening years i changed my mind about things and i do like metallica now and i do like thrash metal now but at that time i was like i just hate this i can't be bothered with it and i just stopped liking trivium i was like bye wow. <laughs> i mean that is like that is actual evidence that the kind of turn off to the band in this era really was real um yeah what did you I'm, what did you sorry go on now i was just gonna say though like you said when you go back to it i had that same thought i was listening to it this morning and i was thinking if a band released this now they'd be like oh cool they've like revived thrash again and they're doing something new and they're doing something they're taking thrash and you can tell that they've got an enthusiasm for it and a passion for it and they're doing something that they think people are going to like i could see now like where they were going with that they're obviously being heralded as the new metallica and i assume that they were like properly into metallica which you can obviously tell when you go back and listen to ascendancy now with the benefit of hindsight um and so yeah if you wanted to be your heroes and everyone was touting you as that and you had something to live up to and you had a platform to be able to just go and make a decent metal record and you didn't want to be associated with kind of screaming in the scene i could totally see why you would do that and yeah going back to it i'm like well i still don't love it but it's perfectly fine but at the time i was just like no that's it that's it for me and weirdly it wouldn't be the last time that they made this decision to kind of go heavy metal and kind of uh in a very different sense but um it's 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 interesting to see how trivium uh have kind of i guess repeated mistakes along this line in their career it's just really interesting that they've gone back to this kind of well more than once not that silence in the snow is a directly comparable arm to the crusade but they obviously had a a a, a willing to kind of to, to wade into this water i guess um what did you think of shogun when it came out steve Shogun, Shogun, sorry. That's a spoiler. What did you think of uh, The Crusade? Um, I bought it the day it came out. I went down straight away to the record shop and bought it because I was banging into Trivium at this point. I was very, very excited. And I got it and I was like, oh, fuck, it's really different. And there's not just thrash metal. There's bits of like glam and stuff on there, which I know they were talking up like, you know, Skid Row and Motley Crue and stuff was being talked about a lot in the... And I, I was a bit like, oh, God, I'm not sure about this. Um, and, and I didn't really like... A lot of it. I was quite shocked when I first heard it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I've got a bit of a theory with The Crusade. I think, were it not to start, I think if you rejigged the track listing around, I think it would be a completely different record. I think Ignition into Detonation 
is too much of a change. And I think both of those songs, they're not catchy. They're not that thing that Trivium had. There are songs on it. Like I've actually done a rejigged version of the, the Crusade, which starts Entrance of the Conflagration, To the Rats, Becoming the Dragon, Anthem, Unrepentant, Broken One, Ignition, Detonation, Contempt Breeds, Contamination, and Sadness Will Seer, The Rising, Tread the Floods, This World Can't Tear Us Apart, The Crusade, right? That is how I would have sequenced it as a record and i think it, wow. and i think it works much better sequence like that because it kind of eases you into the changes um ignition just comes straight in and it's really it's quite jarring it's quite jarring and matt's voice is really different and i don't think the chorus is that catchy and i think all the things that you really liked about ascendancy it kind of makes them all a bit mangled. I don't necessarily think it's a bad song. I just think it puts people's back up straight away. And then when you get like Anthem, We Are The Fire, after that, like a couple of songs later, it is a really kind of, you're suddenly like, where's this band gone? Like, you know, what are you now? I'm not really sure what, what you're playing at. Um, I think had they have, re- and then later on, I think there's stuff that is totally would have been looked at as a, a kind of an evolution of ascendancy and would have been a lot easier for people to kind of stomach. But I just think they like, they hit you, with too much too quickly and that's probably a, a, a mental thing that they decided to do i think that's probably a stylistic choice on their part because they were like well no fuck you you've been saying all this stuff about us we're this and we're that we'll show you we'll be completely different and actually had they have just eased people in with the crusade and all the sort of stylistic changes a little bit later into the album i think it would have been a much i don't think it would have the reputation that it has now of being a misstep that's really interesting. Could you actually make that as a playlist, or maybe we could put it on the I Facebook? Have. I have made something. it as a playlist. Because it's funny you said you you started with Entrance to the Conflagration as well, because that was a track that I just kind of wrote down in my notes when I was just sketching out notes on on um, this podcast. That was the one. That, that's the only song from this album I actually wrote down because I was going to say like it's actually a really good song, mm. but it's just oh, you're already kind of a bit lost by the times it turned yeah. up. And yeah, I mean Anthem, We Are the Fire. Again, it's like. It's not a bad song at all, but it just sounds a bit like it sounds like a bullet from a Valentine's song. It and, does, which it really is does. fine. You know, Bullet are really good at writing these kind of songs, but then that's not what who Trivium are. Like, it's just not. I don't know. It's just not quite them. It felt a bit too cynical, and I don't know. It didn't quite work. But yeah, I'm definitely interested to hear the the, the Steve Hill produced album. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've already I done it. To- I lost patience as well with this record, not just because of the sound of it, because like the title track, The Crusade, in my mind, I would want that to be something like super exciting. And it was like an 11 minute instrumental at the end. And I was like, I don't have the patience for this. At the time, I didn't have the attention span. Yeah, fair. That's fair. I think we all kind of generally agreed on it. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll post the Steve Megamix Mm. on on the podcast Facebook group um, later on this week. Uh, so, the album was generally regarded as um, a bit of a misstep. I mean, they still did some good touring on the back of this album, but I remember play- they played the Black Crusade with Machine Head in England, and I just remember watching... Um, uh, like, I remember they had Ego Ramps at- that they brought out of Brixton Academy, and they came on and were being a bit postury, and like they were okay, and then Machine Head came on touring the Blackening, and yeah. it was just like just forget about it so it was it wasn't the best album cycle for them it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity um and then eventually they regroup they pick uh nick maskulinex to produce the next album it's the first time they wouldn't have worked with uh, jason sukoff um and in september 2008 they released shogun and fuck me 
if there was ever an album produced by a metal band to silence some growing critics, this was the album, isn't it, L? Yeah, I mean, I was really put off by the Crusade, like so put off. And I, when this came out, I actually ignored it because I was like, well, I don't like Trivium anymore. They're not doing the Ascendancy. It's not what I'm interested in. And so I really kind of, this album got drip fed into me, I think, via singles. And then I sort of came to it and I was like, this is more what I would expect from Trivium. But I still didn't love it because I think that sense of betrayal was so strong. Wow. And I think I'd sort of moved on to listening to other bands by then. And I was at a slightly different place in my life as well when I was trying to get my shit together in my adult life rather than being at university and just kind of um, doing all the stuff that I was doing there. So I think just through a personal filter, it didn't hit as hard as it did maybe through an industry filter or people who were following them very, very closely. I had stepped away a bit by then. And like I said, it sort of drip fed through to me. And that was kind of how I came back to them in the end. But when you sit down and listen to this record, it is immense, isn't it? It's so massive. The production is massive. It has all those bits back that are good about Trivium. It comes back to melodic choruses. It comes back to hooks. Um, I was just saying about the attention span with the ending of The Crusade. And this record has some really kind of lengthy songs, but they're really kind of interesting epics that do loads of different things. You'll have like a minute of thrash, like 30 seconds of chorus, some kind of solo, um, some other kind of bridge. Like there's always something going on in these songs. They're just, each one is kind of like a little journey in itself and it just sounds really big. Yeah, yeah really big is definitely the fucking uh, the phrase for it. Um, it's funny you talk about not having kind of an industry lens for it because this was actually uh, the first Trivium album I ever reviewed for anyone. I was writing for a webzine called Soundshock and I've been working for them for about a year. I started working for them in 2007 and um, I remember got set, I got sent this album to review and by that point, like I'd grown to really love Ascendancy. I thought it was a great album. Um, uh, you know, well, I thought it was better than Grateful. It was a fantastic album. Um, I still didn't rate The Crusade very highly. Probably was much more harsh on it than I am now, but I was just really like, uh. and I got sent the Trivium album and I remember being a bit like, you know, it was the first time I kind of had to really form an opinion on a Trivium album in, in a, in a journalistic sense. And I remember kind of thinking, Oh God, like I just not, I'm not, I like that first album, but I'm just not that bothered about this band. I wasn't really invested in them. Like you said, Oh, um, and then I listened to it and I was just fucking blown away and absolutely blown away. And I still think now, Shogun is an astonishing album. It's bold, it's experimental, it's expansive, it's fucking heavy, it's gung-ho, it's absolutely everything you could possibly want from an exciting, cutting-edge, heavy metal album in, well, 2008, but like it still sounds absolutely immense now. Um, you know, I think Matt Heafy's cleans are much more convincing. He's not wallowing in that weird Hetfield-like middle ground so much as he was on the Crusade. Uh, obviously, the screams are fully brought back as well, and that adds more layers to the records. Um, I mean, this is so obviously the album that should have followed Ascendancy. Like, every single track is a journey. It's unpredictable. I'd actually say the only thing close to a straightforward song on here is probably Down From The Sky. 
because that sounds something that could have maybe worked on Ascendancy, for instance, because it's a bit more uh, straight up and urgent. Um, and it's a but most fucking of these tracks, banger as well, isn't it? It is what a fucking, fucking is, yeah. banger, that song is. It's, a, it's an absolute fucking banger, and it probably wouldn't make it into my top five tracks on this album. That's how good this album is. Um, most of the songs on here are around the five-minute mark, because I always misremember this album a bit. I always think, oh, yeah, these tracks are all like six, seven minutes long because there's so much that goes on in all of them. Yeah. Um, but most of them are only around the five-minute mark with a couple of exceptions. Um, and, uh, like, you know, fucking hell, look at, like, Into the Mouth of Hell we marched. That might actually be my favourite Trivium song. It's like it's like the best Iron Maiden song Iron Maiden song never wrote, except it's filtered <laughs> through this crushingly heavy filter and given this kind of off-kilter, bouncy chorus that just doesn't really sound like anything else Trivium had done before. There's um, a lot of call and response as well, like yeah. just to jump in, like th- that song particularly is a lot of call and response and a lot on this record there's a lot of call and response and that's something that they sort of carried on with them and it's so clever because it does go back to that ascendancy thing of sort of having something to grab onto and it makes it sound, it's just something you can just latch onto more when they play them live as well. Yeah, definitely. It definitely kind of helped to grow them in that sense. I totally agree. I mean, there's just so much going on in this album. It's topped off with, you know, a 12 minute epic in Shogun, much better than the 11 minute epic on the previous album. Um, I mean, it's as good a heavy metal album. If we're talking about proper heavy metal as anything released by any band this side of 2000, I think. Um, Steve, what are your shorts, thoughts? What are your shorts? What are your thoughts on Shogun? <laughs> Don't tell me about your shorts; it's boring. Yeah. Um, and what do you think might have happened with Trivium if they released this album in two thousand six? Oh fuck! Yeah, there is an alternative universe where that happened, and Trivium are like um, playing Twickenham and stuff like that now. Do you know what I mean? I, I, <laughs> I imagine. I mean, I, th- I think the thing is, is that to be honest. Um, so I, I was like you actually, after sort of seeing him on the Black Crusade and after see and after listening to, um, to the Crusade, I was a little bit like, eh, you know, that band, maybe it was just a one album thing. And so I didn't rush out and buy this record straight away. Um, and then I think it was on a Metal Hammer CD actually that, uh, Kirisuke Goman was on and I was like, well, I'll listen to the song. And it was six and a half minutes long and I was like, oh, have they lost the plot again sort of thing. And, and then you listen to it and you're like, fucking hell, this is this is a hell of a song. And then I think I saw that I saw the album for like a fiver in FOP and I was like, ah, yeah, you know, I'll give it a go. And then you get it back. FOP. Yeah. Place. Yeah. And then you get it back and put it on and it's just, you know, it's 66 minutes long. And I think for a metal band, any metal band to hold your attention, as much as I love metal, holding your attention for over an hour as a metal band, just playing metal, you have to be unbelievable. I think, like, for me, shorter metal albums, you know, Rain and Blood's like 27 minutes, right? doesn't need to be any more than that. If you're getting battered for that length of time, unless you really, really, really love that shit and not much else, it's quite hard to listen to a metal album of that length a lot of times, I think. And this is one of the few times where I'm like, this absolutely justifies its length. And there is so much going on. But I think it's the, I think it's the focus. The Crusade doesn't have focus. The Crusade, I think, is something that is like, haha, we'll, we'll trick you with this. And uh, oh, well, if we do that, that's a bit of sort of thinking outside the box. Shogun, to me, doesn't try and do any of those things. Shogun does, feels like an album that doesn't give a fuck what people think about it. I think The Crusade feels like a record that is, I don't want to say it's made by committee, but I think it's very definitely made with outside pressures 
and outside context that have kind of interfered with it. I'm not saying people from record labels came in and said you should do this or you should do that, but I think the band themselves thought, what can we do that will surprise people? And I think when they don't do that, Trivium, and when they don't give a fuck about where the scene sits or where their reputation lies or what other people think about them, they're one of the fucking best bands in metal full stop. When they care about what people think, that is when that is ultimately their downfall. And to me, Shogun felt like it sort of feels like a last roll of the dice. Like, fuck it, this is what we want to make. And you can hear shit in it that is like Maiden and Priest. And there's kind of, there's there's extreme metal elements in it. Like there's stuff in it where you go like, that is blast beats and that is tremolo chords. And, 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 and it veers so brilliantly. And I think, you know, anyone can do riff salad and chuck a bunch of pieces together. But the way that the band are kind of linked and um, the way that they kind of lock in together for these very, very difficult compositions and make them feel like songs. Like you can hum, like you say, I mean, like you say, man, I mean, particularly like Down From The Sky is such a massive song. And it's, you know, they're not the Dillinger escape plan or anything. We're not talking about technicality for, not that I think Dillinger is technicality for technicality's sake, but that kind of math core thing of, oh, we can play loads of different riffs and blah, 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 blah. So many of those bands forget to write songs. This record is like even more the perfect amalgam of songs, mental technical stuff, and just being really fucking heavy. It's everything amped up. And where would Trivium be if they'd have released it? I actually think it's almost like, and I mean this as a compliment, I think it's too good a record to have turned them into an arena band because I think it's too much of a chat. Like with all due respect to like where the scene was and like, you know, most metal bands, Five Finger Death Punch are one of like the biggest metal bands. They're good, but they're not a challenging band. Shogun, I think Shogun's probably too much of a challenge for most people to be able to really get into it. That's a really, really interesting point, actually, because um, I've, I've said a lot about how I think, well, and you two have kind of said similar, really, that the last two albums, um, The Sin in the Sentence and What the Dead Men Say, stack up against just about anything else the band have put out. Um, and they're probably the closest albums they've done in kind of going back to the Shogun era musically, but I don't know if those albums are as dense, certainly not what the dead man say. I don't think um, are as dense, are as experimental, are as int- just as interesting, I guess, as Shogun. Um, so yeah, it's a really good point. It might've been too much for the scene at the time, but fuck me. It really just, to me, to me, Shogun is the album that sealed Trivium's position as the band capable of making heavy metal as heavy metal should sound in the modern era. You know, I love classic heavy metal. I made them my favourite band. I adore Metallica. Um, I mean, Metallica have uh, evolved quite a lot in their own way, to be fair. But, you know, I adore Judas Priest, etc. Um, but, you know, what those bands do is still, cl- for the most part, classic heavy metal. Just sometimes funneled in slightly different ways. Trivium are a modern heavy metal band. And this album, Shogun, to me, is as definitive uh, a modern heavy metal record as you could possibly hope to make. And... At the risk of sounding like I'm spoiling things for later, when I talk about comparing Trivium's current material to their best kind of stuff, um, often I, Shogun's the first thing I think of purely because it was just such an expansive, immense album. I mean, what I would say as well, like, I mean, 
the hunter was meant to take mastodon into arenas and turn them into a potential festival headlining band the hunter is you know mastodon at their most commercially viable right and it couldn't do that shogun is Trivium not giving a fuck and going, fuck you, we're going to write an album of just the best metal that we can possibly write. And I think as much as we'd all like to think that, oh, the, the, you know, the mainstream at large will latch on to the more challenging aspects of metal, that has never really happened before. So the idea that they would do that on an album like Shogun, I think is probably... So, you know, it would be quite easy to go, oh, if only they'd done Shogun after Ascendancy. But I think realistically, like, it took Metallica to make the Black Album. And, it, you know, it took Megadeth to do, like, Euthanasia and Countdown to Extinction for them to become really, really massive. So, you know, there's no kind of precedent for an album like Shogun turning a band into superstars because... It's really difficult. Most people don't want to listen to music that is this fucking difficult and dense and challenging and wild and... Do you know what I mean? They just don't. Hmm. The only bit where I maybe disagree with you slightly with your kind of framing of them just going in and not giving a fuck is that I feel like lyrically and like song title-wise they had really decided to do this epic thing. It's like, here's a load of Japanese mythology, here's a load of Greek mythology... We're going to make it really dramatic. If you've got that kind of framing, it already puts you in this place where it's sort of like theatre and it's kind of this big, over-the-top, epic thing already before you've even done anything. Whereas I felt like Ascendancy, as like a kid um, being excited about something, it felt more like things that they... that It was a lot less grown-up and more naive, but it felt like things that they were more kind of interested in writing about like from inside themselves um so i don't think i don't think that what they did on shogun was bad but i do think there was like a switch from coming from somewhere that was sort of inside themselves and kind of playing around lyrically to kind of making this decision to do something that was just fucking epic um Mm. and that to me didn't really doesn't really feel like that thing of like not giving a fuck it feels very much staged yeah, but that's, I mean, that's still a, a conscious stylistic decision that you've made. That, it is, yeah. That is, it's not a commercially led decision. I mean, I'm not, when I say they don't give a fuck, I mean, they, I don't think out, I don't think they, the outside interference mess with that project at all. Right. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean that like... They, they decided they, it, but they wanted to decide that for themselves. Yeah, it's it, like, wasn't, you know, it wasn't like pressure on them to make that decision. Yeah, I think, you know, like I say, the, the crusade feels like a kind of, a bit of a kind of compromised, um, second-guessy kind of record, whereas I think Shogun feels like, a com- like you say, a complete idea. And I think that is them going, you know, a 66-minute-long heavy metal record about Japanese mythology with loads of mad riffs and different parts and black metal elements and proggy parts and is 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 hardly a recipe for like commercial success. Yeah, and I should say as well, obviously saying that Ascendancy was kind of maybe more from inside themselves and a bit more naive. This album's really interesting in the fact that uh, Matt Heafy was leaning into his Japanese heritage, mm-hmm. which is very much part of him. So there is a huge part of his identity obviously woven through this as well. And all the stuff about video games that he loved. And, you know, I'm kind of not saying that it's something that they just put on top of it. Like you said, it's a stylistic decision. It's just quite a different one from Ascendancy. But to be fair, there was a little bit of a predecessor for that kind of thing when oh, it comes the crusade. to the lyrics yeah well and also also on ascendancy because you know paul hard on the strings of your martyr was like about a tyrannical dictator and it's kind of 
like they definitely used it as a metaphor for inwards facing stuff as well but that kind of like grand scope uh kind of mythological thing historical thing um was kind of like circling around their arsenal then as well yeah i thought Um, you were going to talk about becoming the dragon and the koi turning into a dragon from the crusade (laughs) yeah that's a far better example. which obviously i love (laughs) that's great (laughs) that's that's actually a way better example well right look we obviously both uh all three of us obviously love both these records um it's time to do some voting only one of these two albums is going to make it into the metal podcast hall of fame shogun or ascendancy um I'm going to ask for your closing statement and then your final vote. I'm going to start with you, Elle, because you always hate me leaving you to last. <laughs> oh, you know, I hate making decisions. This was really hard for me because I came into this podcast thinking, not this podcast literally now, but like a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about it, I thought this is going to be really easy for me because there's one clear winner and there hasn't been because for me, Ascendancy was this huge record that I have such great memories of I'm really really latched onto and just thought this is amazing Trivium are great I love them they're my band these are my people and then like I said with the crusade I really just went away from them and thought it's not my band anymore it's not for me it's something else but coming back and listening to these records and listening to Shogun I was just really blown away putting them side to side and just how much progression there'd been into Shogun how huge it sounds and all these songs like I said at the time they were kind of drip fed like I sort of learned it by drip feeding rather than listening to it through and putting this record on and coming back to some of those songs I was like wow these are amazing songs like Down From The Sky and The Calamity and I was like yeah I actually do love these songs these are great songs so I thought I was going to choose Ascendancy I thought that was a surefire thing that I was definitely going to choose and I've actually changed my mind now, and I'm going to choose Shogun. Oh my God, it's a stunner. And it's also <laughs> uh, potentially upset how this thing's going to go, because I assumed you were going to choose Ascendancy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad now. This is the worst bit. I hate making these choices. Now I'm like, oh, maybe I have regret. Maybe Ascendancy is better. Ascendancy wow. is, is better in my memories. And objectively speaking, when you put them side by side, Shogun is better for me wow all right then well steve um i don't know this may just uh there may be no third vote needed here steve (laughs) your closing statements well and your uh your pick um so i I think both of these records are are 10 out of 10 records and i'm just just for drama i'm i'm almost going to try and stick up for ascendancy because i think i think ascendancy is um is an amazing record and i think it's culturally in terms of what it's done for metal it is the classic like there's it for a moment and what it defined and for what it kind of birthed and for the excitement around it i don't think you can argue that shogun had as big an impact on the world at large as ascendancy did ascendancy is fucking brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and I kind of came to both these records in a bit of a similar way with a kind of like I say my arms are folded for ascendancy who are these young bucks impressed me and they really really did and again with Shogun I was kind of like yeah you know it seems like they've lost the plot a bit impressed me and they really really did so I'm I mean I'm trying to put the case forward for ascendancy and I think there is a very very strong case to be made for ascendancy because I genuinely do think it's one of the records that 
when the kind of book of heavy metal is written that will be that will be in there with all the big albums that you immediately think about but it's really hard to not pick at Shogun it's really hard to not pick Shogun because like Eleanor says just in terms of what goes into your ears it's it's clearly the better album I mean it's clearly the better record I think Ascendancy is still brilliant and it has you know such an amazing youthful vigor about it and it's got this real kind of cool amalgam of all these different things that were becoming popular at the time but Shogun is an astonishing record I think Shogun is it's it's kind of breathtaking every time you listen to it I there's so much going on that I don't even think you can you have to listen to it again to be like oh yeah fuck this is maddeningly brilliant do you know what I mean there are so many riffs there are so many twists there's such a strong thematic thing that goes through it all the way through as we've mentioned with the with the um with the kind of Japanese uh, mythology there's I, I, for me this is where you you hit you see and hear the the real trivium for the first time when I think about trivium and what trivium are I think of trivium on Shogun and for them to come back after a potentially career-destroying moment, rightly or wrongly, with the Crusade, to come back, not just with a strong album, because sometimes it takes a band, oh, it's much better, and then there's another one, oh, they've, they're going on the way back, and then they do a classic. For them to come straight back after that with, I would say, the best album of their career, just, uh, I think, is quite a magnificent achievement. So... I tried to sort of stick up for Ascendancy, but it's got to be Shogun. It's got to be. You did an honourable job. So, yeah, two votes already for Shogun. That means Shogun is going in. And for what it's worth, um, I completely agree with both of you. I think Ascendancy is um, an incredible, incredible album. It's If you look at metal over the past 21 years, um, it's unquestionably one of the seminal metal albums of that time. It's probably the last time a young heavy metal band produced something that felt like a moment where we could have a band really on the world stage again. Um, and it's, you know, Steve called it a 10 out of 10, so they're both 10s. I, yeah, it's hard to argue because there's not a bad moment on that record. It's all fucking amazing. But purely because of the fact that Shogun is so incredible, just mind-blowingly good, I almost think I have to drop Ascendancy down to a 9 just because I think it's it's i wouldn't say emphatically but i do think i agree it's clearly not quite as good as shogun i think shogun is objectively by any measure the better record and it probably is the best album of trivium's career i mean the last two records have run it mighty mighty close in waves is a fucking great album as well by the way it kind of doesn't get talked about a lot because it came after shogun but um you know it's hard to argue against shogun being the best thing trivium ever i've ever done so it's got my vote as well so there you go unanimous which is a rarity, I think, on this podcast. Uh, Shogun goes into the Mount Hammer Podcast Hall of Fame. We'll be doing another one of these episodes very, very soon for sure. Uh, but that is just about it for this week's show. So we'll be back next week uh, right here on the Mount Hammer Podcast. We will see you then. Elle's shaking her head. Why are you shaking your head? I'm on holiday next week. Oh, Elle's on holiday next week. Well, some, I'll be back. <laughs> some of us will be back. All right. Have a lovely time on holiday. I will see you in a few weeks' time. 
Um, don't forget to go to www.killstar.com slash pages slash metal pod to get 10% off some cool Killstar merchandise and you get the chance to win another £100 worth of merch with a cool gift card. Um, so shout out to Killstar for sponsoring the podcast and shout out to you, our lovely listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.